Hey, good morning, Emmanuel family. Welcome to worship today. And uh, if you're part of the online service, welcome as well. Um, I especially want to give a shout out if you're part of the online service because I realize that there's many things that you could be doing at this moment, but you're choosing to participate in worship at Emmanuel. So I want to say thank you. We're in a series called Ghost Stories. It's how the Holy Spirit changes us and our world. And it's an expository series, which is really a fancy term for we're walking through the book of Acts, basically chapter by chapter. And so today we're in Acts chapter 9, and we'll be looking at the first 19 verses. Yes, I'm reading all 19 verses. So would you stand, please, as we read God's word together? And I want you to think about one thought as I read the scripture, and that is, what's your story? I'll unpack that in a moment, but what's your story of how Jesus became more than a name to you? Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. By the way, we are introduced to Saul, who would become Paul, last week at the stoning of Stephen. Everybody who was stoning Stephen threw their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. Here, Saul. He was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way that he found there. The Christian movement in the early days, was called the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around them. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Think about that for just a moment. Saul, middle-aged, powerful, in his prime. Now he has to be led by the hand into Damascus because he can't even see. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, now go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. By the way, Straight Street is still a road in the center of Damascus to this day. You can walk on Straight Street. When you get there, ask a man from Tarsus named Saul. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he can see again. 
But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. The Christians in Damascus knew Saul was coming for them. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. It's the gentle word of the Lord that says, hey, relax, he's not getting off the hook. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength. Now Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Would you bow your heads together? Holy Spirit, these next few moments are very precious because we're going to be talking about our story of how you became more than a name to us. And there's people in this room and there's people that are joining us online who have known you for decades. They're saved. They're born again. They've been raised to new life. Whatever term we choose to use You are in our lives, but there's also people who are not really sure what that means. And so today, give us clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've shared this before in previous messages. I always ask myself the question when I'm reading a verse in the Bible, why is this verse in the Bible? I think it's always good to go back and to say, of all the stories that could have been told about Jesus, of all the stories that could have been told about the early church, of all the stories that are just there in the Bible, why are they there? Are they historical? What do they mean to us? And so the question that I want to ask you this morning is, why is Acts chapter 9 in the Bible? Why is the conversion of the apostle Paul, who was called Saul at that time, why is that in the Bible? Why is it in Acts? Here's an even better question. Why is it in Acts three times? Paul tells his story three times in the book of Acts. Why does he do that? Why does Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, right, volume two to the gospel of Luke, why did Luke feel it was so important to include Paul's testimony, just like we sang about two songs ago, in the book of Acts? Here's the reason. Because Luke is trying to tell you and me something about our own witness. You may or may not be able to talk to people in a profound way and in a convincing way of all the questions that people have about faith. You know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, why does God do this? Why does God do that? Some people question the resurrection. Some people question the crucifixion. Some people question whether Jesus was a historical figure or not. People have all kinds of questions. A lot of people say, I don't even know what the gospel is. We throw around terms in the church all the time. Well, the gospel is. Well, the good news is. There's a lot of people that are like, I don't even know what the gospel is. I don't even know what the good news is. What exactly is that? Here's the deeper question. What does it really mean to be born again? or saved, or whatever term you want to use. 
People may have all kinds of questions, but they cannot refute one thing. What Jesus has done in your life. That's the one thing nobody can ever question because it's you and your experience with Jesus. So Dr. Luke is coming alongside of the early church and you and me saying, tell your story. Know your story. Be able to communicate your story of how Jesus became more than a name to you and changed your life. So here's my question. What's your story? Do you have a story? Some of you have been walking with Jesus for decades. Awesome. For some of you, you're just kind of a little shaky. I don't know. Maybe you were raised in the church. Maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus and the gospel, but you're really not sure what does it mean to be saved. So over the next few moments, I'm going to walk you through the best way that I know to give a crystal clear understanding of what the gospel really is or how do you actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ because here's what I think you know there's all kinds of studies I try to keep up on all these studies because the church is my life and you know that there's a lot of studies that show that at least half of the people that attend church every Sunday online or in person don't even have a relationship with Jesus half how can that be it doesn't mean that they don't know about Jesus. It just means that they really haven't experienced life transformation with Jesus the way we're supposed to and the way the Bible promises. So here's what we're going to do. The next 20 minutes, give me 20 minutes of your time. Everybody has this little pamphlet that's right there in front of you in the pocket folder. Pull it out. I'm going to ask if the lights in the worship center would come up just a little bit, if you'd be able to read it. We're going to walk through this together, and this is also up on the screen. So maybe um, the font is too small on this pamphlet, and you're like, I didn't bring my reading glasses. Okay, don't worry about it. Just be up on the screen. And I'm going to walk you through eight pages. Sometimes I'm just going to read it. Sometimes I'm going to make comment on it. But at the end of this little pamphlet, I'm going to give you an invitation to receive Christ. Now... Up on the altars are pearls. They're Walmart pearls. <laughs> Full disclosure. But at the end of me sharing this presentation, if you would like to make a commitment or a recommitment to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to get up and pick one of these pearls up and just stick it in your pocket and go back to your seat. Now, why would I do that? Because Jesus referred to the gospel as the pearl of great price. Jesus told a parable about that, how a man sold everything that he had so he could get this one precious pearl. And you can take this pearl, you can stick it in your pocket, you know, you can put it in your purse, you just carry it around with you. Because every time you, you feel that pearl, you'll say, oh, this is, this is what I did on this Sunday. So, let's begin. Everybody have their pamphlet? This is called Step Up to Life. 
page one. God is a wonderful God who loves you and has been trying to get your attention. Perhaps some of these things have prevented it, like drugs or problems or sports or family or friends or business or pornography or hobbies. Let me add one, success. All of these things are distractions. Um, Notice some of these things on here are really good things. So not everything that distracts you from God is a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. But the bottom line is, is that it still distracts us. Your involvements may have kept you from thinking about God, yet when you read this booklet, God may say something to you. So I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to ask for God to say something to you. Lord Jesus, would you use this simple little pamphlet to clarify and challenge many of us about where we are walking with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you probably know something already about God, but here are three vital truths that you should consider now. God is all wise, and he knows what's best for your life. He is holy, and because he is holy, he cannot approve of sin, and he will judge it. Three, he is merciful so that he can hold back judgment and pardon you because of Christ's death on the cross for you. The Old Testament prophet named Micah in chapter 7, verse 18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin? What, What Micah was saying is, this is unbelievable. How can God be so merciful that he could pardon sin? That's what that means. Now, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're going to have to make a decision right now. Are there 50 ways to get to heaven? Or are there one? Jesus says there's one. Doesn't mean you're not a good person, but being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't mean you have a sincere religious belief in another religion, but that doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is your highest purpose for living? Some say to enjoy my family, to be happy, to live a good life, to be fulfilled, basically the American dream. These are good, but the Bible tells us that the highest purpose is to know God by experience through Jesus Christ and then to live to please him. This is why you were created. Think of it. You can actually know God as you would a friend. You need a friend today? Jesus promises to be your friend. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Turn the page. We're on page 3. This wonderful God wants to forgive you of all your sins, give you meaning in your life right now, and to take you to heaven when you die. The death rate is still 100%. We're all going to die one day. The question is, where are you going to spend eternity? Now, all this is yours when you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. If you reject this offer of his mercy and his love and put yourself over God and under his judgment, 
you are making yourself the final authority. That is original sin, making yourself the final authority. I'm the one that dictates my life. No, God created you. He's the one that gets the right to dictate your life. Therefore, the most important question you will ever face is, who runs your life, you or Jesus? The next few pages will help you find out. Now, every person is on one of five steps. Every person is on one of these five steps. Your attitude determines your distance from God. Each step describes a hard attitude toward God, and this determines your distance, near or far from him. Jesus taught this when he said to a man seeking truth, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, everybody look up for just a moment. You all know people, maybe you're one of those people, where six months ago you could care less about God. But a number of things have happened in your life, and now you're much more receptive than what you were six months ago. That's what Jesus is talking about. Some people don't give God a, a, a thought in their life at all. But life happens, and then suddenly people that didn't think about God that much a year or five years or ten years ago are thinking about God quite a bit. That, that's all that Jesus is referring to here. So let's begin. I'll, I'll walk you through each one of these five steps. Turn on page five. This is the step of unconcern. That's the first step, the step of unconcern. This is where you may know a great deal about Jesus and salvation, or you may know very little. The important thing is you don't really care. Every single week, I know that there are people sitting here in church or watching online who are only here because their mom and dad told them they had to be here. Or their spouse guilted them into coming. Won't you come to church with me? It's Mother's Day. Right? But I promise you that there are some people in this room who their minds and hearts are far away from God. They're thinking about the baseball game this afternoon. They're thinking about whatever. But they're really not that in tune. They're here, but they're really unconcerned. An unconcerned attitude will keep you from knowing God, but it does not keep God from caring about you. Because of Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You may not care that much about God at this moment, but that doesn't stop God from caring deeply about you. Are you on this step? Second step is a step of concern. This is where you are aware of your inner and spiritual needs and would like to find answers to them. You know, perhaps a death, a divorce, a job loss, a sickness, or influence of a friend has caused you to realize your emptiness or spiritual need. This emptiness is due to a lack of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So six months ago, you may have been on the step of unconcern, but maybe today you're more concerned than what you were six months ago about where you're at spiritually. Are you on that step? The third step is the step of conviction. Ooh, what's conviction? Conviction is when you have a strong spiritual discomfort and guilt caused by the Holy Spirit showing you your sin and your emptiness. Do you hope to go to heaven by being a good person or by doing the best that you can? The questions that you need to ask yourself are, am I good enough? Have I kept God's commandments 100% in word, thought, and deed? If you have, then you can go to heaven by your good life. However, Romans 3.20 says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, what does that mean? 
So many years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. My parents lived in the D.C. area. They both worked for the government. And so we'd always go into D.C. when we went and visited them. And we went to the Holocaust Museum. I don't know if you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. It's a very incredible place. But in one of the floors, they have an actual barracks from Auschwitz that they took down and reassembled in the Holocaust Museum. I was transfixed by it. I stood there, and the weight of history, the weight of grief, the weight of mourning just kind of fell on me. And I, and I, don't, I don't know why it happened, but I just stood there, and I was overcome by it. Thousands of people were in and out of these barracks, and thousands of people died. And I wanted to touch it, to just put my hand on it and say, I've touched something from Auschwitz, but there was this sign that said, do not touch. And now I thought, I want to touch it all the more, because now it said, don't touch it. You know, it's kind of like you didn't think about sitting down at a bench until it said wet paint. Now you're like, how wet is it? Right? So, you know, I looked around. I didn't see any guards. I didn't see any, like, whirly light, you know, that goes off. So I just, I put my hand over the sign that said, do not touch. And then I took it back. Nothing happened. Security didn't come. And then I felt guilty. I shouldn't have done it. God has placed a moral law inside of every person. And unless it has been so warped, most people know when they do something wrong, if you're really honest with yourself. You know you shouldn't have gossiped about that person. You know you shouldn't have gone there on that website. You know when you do something wrong. It's through the law, the line in the sand, in which you know you've crossed over it or not and have sinned. So to find out how good you are as a person, let's take God's goodness test. So I'm calling God's goodness test the Ten Commandments and just see if you've broken any of God's commandments. So I'm going to start from the bottom up. You shall not covet. Now don't raise your hands in any of these. That might be embarrassing. Okay, but to covet is to want something that somebody else has and want it so bad that you're kind of frustrated that they even have it. I mean, what's up with them? They don't deserve to have a Maserati. I want a Maserati. I don't know why I always go to cars when I think about that, but that, maybe that's my own problem, actually. You shall not bear false witness. Have you ever lied? Have you ever said something that wasn't true? You shall not steal. Have you ever stolen something that wasn't yours? A pencil, a paper clip, someone's reputation. You shall not commit adultery. Don't, do not raise your hand here. H have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever entered into a physical or emotional relationship with someone other than your spouse? Honor, obey, oh, oh, I skipped one, you shall not murder. This is where most people say, I may have violated the first four, but I haven't killed anybody. 
Honor, which means obey your father and mother. When you were growing up, did you ever disobey your parents? Just yes or no. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Have you ever treated like the Sabbath day as if it was any other day? Um, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You ever swear? So I worked in a gas station for four years. I have an encyclopedic knowledge of every conceivable swear word that there is. But you know the highest swear word of all is saying, oh my God. OMG. All the other swear words pale in comparison to taking the name of the Lord in vain. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, this is where most of us, at least in American culture, say, yeah, I don't bow down to any idol. And so you're thinking, that's fine. But an idol is something that represents God. An idol can be a political party thinking that God has sanctified that political party. And, you know, you really can't be a Christian if you're not part of this political party. That's an idol. An idol could be a cross that is around your neck. It doesn't have to be. Many people have a cross as a jewelry, that kind of a thing. But, you know, there are some people, they, they, they treat it like this. Oh, I'm going to have a bad day unless I wear my cross. What are you talking about you can have a bad day if you don't wear your cross? You're not putting your faith in your cross. You're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know people that carry um, coins of images of saints, and they stick them in their pocket, and they're convinced that this coin is going to help them have a safe drive from here to Florida. That's an idol. An idol is something that represents God that you put faith in rather than the God you cannot see. And then lastly, or which is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Just a straight up question, have you ever put a person or possessions in a higher priority than God? Yes or no? Now, I'm on page eight now. How well did you score? Passing is 100%. God doesn't grade on a curve or on a scale. James chapter 2, verse 10 says that if you break just one commandment once, you have failed. In other words, the law is like a balloon. One hole destroys it. How many of you have ever had a balloon in your hand and then took a pin, just popped it? Right? Next, consider these important questions. Have you sinned by breaking any of God's laws? In other words, any of these that I've just listed, and there's many more, by the way, but these are just, you know, the top ten. Can you say, yeah, I've broken that. Number two, do your sins ever bother you, yes or no? Number three, how much? A little bit, a lot, or enough to do something about them? Only you can answer that. Page nine, repentance. This is the next step. What is repentance? Repentance is a deep change of mind and heart 
and choose to reject and forsake all known sin and the right to run your life independently of God. Repentance is the act of getting off the throne of your life so that Jesus Christ may take his rightful place there. Repentance is a spiritual U-turn necessary before you believe. Repentance is not just being sorry for your sins. With repentance, there is sorrow, but you can have sorrow without repentance. Many people are sorry for the consequences of their sin, not the sin themselves. You ever met somebody that was sorry that they got caught, but wasn't sorry that they did it? Godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You know what that means? That means that we're totally opposite than the world. The world says, oh no, be happy all the time. You know what the Bible says? There are some times when it's important to grieve and to be sorrowful because when you're sorrowful about things that you should be sorrowful about, that means that you're actually healthy. There's a lot of people that are walking around in this world with a tremendous sense of guilt and shame that don't have to have guilt and shame. All they need to do is to simply acknowledge the things in their life that have caused that guilt and shame, turn to Christ and say, forgive me. And Christ will take away that guilt and shame. But you first have to acknowledge it. Repentance is not just quitting a sinful act. Some people have refrained from certain sins and reformed for personal reasons like health, reputation, family, business not because their sins displease God. So, repentance is mentioned over 55 times in the New Testament. Jesus himself said, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So the big question for you and me today is, how important is it to repent? To change the direction of your life toward Christ. This is the last step. This is called the saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ step. This step is where you are prepared to make a total commitment of all that you are and all that you have to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a change of government in your heart from self-rule to the Lord Jesus Christ since Christ is God, since he died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. Listen to this. This is the most important thing I'm about to say. He is more important than your job, your family, your finances, your career, and even your life itself. Matthew 10, Luke 9, and 1 Corinthians 15 all back that up. It is a change of government in your heart from self-rule to the Lord Jesus Christ. Since Christ is God, since he died on the cross and rose from the dead for you, he is more important than your job, your family, <clears throat> your finances, your career, even your life itself. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says that if a person would be his disciple, he must put him first before his father, his mother, his wife, and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, or he cannot be his disciple. Okay, look at me for just a minute. I've been married now for 37 years. Holly is the love of my life. I cannot believe that after all these years, she still reaches for my hand. But she's not the most important person in my life. The Lord Jesus Christ is. He's first. I believe that Holly feels the same way about me. 
she's been away for the last four days, and um, she came home last night. And you know she loves me when she said, I've had four wonderful days with our five grandchildren, but I wish you were here with me and I missed you more. And I went, what? Mark is above the grandchildren? Blow my mind. But I'm not the most important person in Holly's life. The Lord Jesus Christ is. Here's the irony. The more I put Christ first, the better husband I become. The more Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, the better I love my wife. The better father I am, the better husband I am, the better pastor I am. Because Jesus is the central figure of my life. And my life is centered around Jesus. And when Jesus says that you cannot be my disciple unless you lay aside all these other relationships, he's not saying don't care about those other relationships. What he means is, I'm first. The primary metaphor in the New Testament for our relationship with Christ is a marriage relationship. When you invite Christ into your life, you get married to Jesus. It's a little weird for men to think about it like that, right? But just go with the metaphor. To be a faithful husband... To be a faithful wife is to enter into an exclusive relationship with your spouse and elevate that relationship with your spouse above all other relationships. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And ironically, the more you do that, the more of a lover you become to your friends and family. Now, when you surrender and completely trust him in this way, God will put his spirit in you and you will be born into his family. God now becomes your loving father and receives you as his son or daughter. He can make any changes in your life that he wants to bring him more honor. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says, He made peace through the blood of his cross for us. Do you have an unshakable, unmistakable peace with God? Turn the page to page 13. This is the last page we're going to look at. And then I want to give you an invitation if you would like to receive Christ today into your life or you would like to make a recommitment to Christ. How do you do that? You know, I talk to people all the time that say, you know, I, I want to be saved. I don't even know what that means, but I, I want to have Jesus in my life. And it becomes this great mystery. I'm going to try to unmystify it right now. So what do you do? Well, first of all, you confess your sins. You call them out by name, pride, sexual sins, lying, unforgiveness, greed, cheating. And then you tell God that you're repenting. You're willing to forsake all known sin and the root of your sins, which is selfishness. Then you tell God you're believing in Jesus Christ, whom he has raised from the dead and receiving him into your life as Lord and Savior. Now, here's what will happen if you'll do those three things. He will keep his word. He will forgive you and to come into your life, making you new. Now, this is important. 
You may make this commitment with or without deep emotions. Your reaction is determined by your temperament, background, and God's individual approach to you. You do know that you have committed your will to please the Lord, and this is essential. Emotions will pass, but the choice of your heart remains the same. You know, sometimes I talk to people, and they're like, I don't know, did it take? I don't know if I feel any different. I mean, I prayed this prayer. I've seen some people pray it, and they hooped and hollered and cried and got emotional in some way, and I don't know. I I don't think I really felt anything different. Okay. I've just told you that I love my wife, and we've been married for 37 years, and she is the love of my life. I also have to make a confession. I don't wake up every single day going, I get to be married to Holly. (laughs) Sometimes I just wake up and I'm like, hey, we woke up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes there's great emotion and passion in our marriage. Sometimes it's like, hey, what are we having for dinner? Emotions come and go. You know what matters most? The decision of your life. You make decisions. Sometimes decisions come with great emotions. Sometimes they don't come with great emotions. It doesn't matter. What matters is you've made a decision. So here's what I'm thinking. You can certainly pray a prayer inviting Christ into your life just on your own. But what I've discovered is is that when it gets to this moment, a lot of people just go, I don't know what to say. So I think... It might be helpful, or let me put it this way. If it is helpful, I would like to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to follow my prayer. If you want to pray on your own, that's fine. But if you would like some help, I'm going to lead you in just a moment in a prayer inviting Jesus to come into your life, following, confessing your sins, telling God you're repenting, telling God you're believing in Jesus. Okay? And if this is your moment where you would like to invite Christ into your life, If you would like to recommit your life to Christ, then just pray this prayer after me. So let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, just just in your head, just repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, this is and give your name. I want to have a relationship with you. I actually feel you tugging on my heart. There is something drawing me to you right now. I confess that I have sinned. I've done things that I knew were wrong. I want you to take a moment and just be very specific between you and God and just list some of those sins that come to mind. I now repent of these sins. I'm turning my back on them. Just go ahead and say that. I now repent of my sins. I'm turning my back on them. Please forgive me. Come into my life right now, would you? Please, Jesus. I believe you are God's son. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. 
so that I may have power to live. Come into my life right now. Cleanse me of every sin I've ever committed. I want a real relationship with you, a friendship. I surrender myself to you. And my promise to you is from this moment forward, I'm going to do my best to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. I believe you have. And from this moment on, I'm just going to do my best to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen very closely. Revelation chapter 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him. That's kind of a metaphorical way of Jesus standing at the door of your life, knocking. There have been times in your life in which you've sensed God's presence, whether you open the door of your life or not. But right now, if you pray this prayer, you open the door of your life. Jesus came into your life, and he promises to never leave. I think that that's worth celebrating. So over these next couple moments, I'm going to ask you to consider to do a couple things. In, in a moment, if you invited Christ into your life, I'm going to ask you to get up and come to the ends of the altars here. And there's two little dishes, one on each side with pearls in them. Just get up, pick a pearl, and go back to your seat. So why am I asking you to do this publicly? I'm not calling you out. The intent is not to embarrass you. The intent is not to in any way get you to do something you don't want to do. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you're too ashamed to say that you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't acknowledge you before his father. So Jesus called people publicly. Your relationship with Christ may be personal, but it's never private. At some point in your life, you have to come out and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And now is as good a time as any as to do that. So that's why I'm inviting you to come forward. I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm actually doing it for you. It's a way to anchor this decision that you've just made. What do I, what do I want you to do with this pamphlet? I want you to take it home. We have enough for both services. Just take this pamphlet home. Review it. Just look at it again. Because Monday, you'll be wondering what you did on Sunday. Sometimes you just need to keep looking at something over and over again just to let it cement in your mind. Here's what's interesting is that out in the lobby, we have four other different translations. We have Chinese translation. We have a Spanish translation. We have a um, Indian translation. I hope I say this right, Gajarati. And, I have a, and we have Korean translations. So on your way out, you can pick up the English version or you can pick up a translation that's helpful to you. The reason why we made these translations available is because we have 20 nations represented within our church body, either in person or online. And these are the major four. And we want you to understand what you're doing. The next step is I want you to consider sharing this with somebody else. You know why? Because you have people in your life that don't know Jesus, right? And so what I've just done with you, you just do to them. And you say, hey, would you like to hear more about Jesus? And you can share this pamphlet with them. Some next steps are, the next step may be baptism for you. If you would like to be baptized because you've given your life to Christ this moment, then call the church office. 
and just say, I gave my life to Christ on Sunday and I'd like to be baptized. Someone in the office will take your name and somebody will be in contact with you. We have an August 6th baptism service and you can be part of that baptism service. By the way, that's what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul gives his life to Christ. What, what did the last sentence say in Acts chapter 9? And he was baptized. Baptism is the entrance to the Christian life. We're also going to be offering a class called Alpha starting Monday, July 19th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Dinner is included. What a deal. Um, Alpha class is intended to help you grow spiritually. You can, come, you can go to the church app. If you have the app on your phone, you can go right now and you can sign up. You can go to the church website. You can call the church office. Alpha will be a wonderful course to help you to grow in your Christian faith. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing right now. Thank you. You're, you. You promised that you would always draw people to yourself. And that's exactly what you've been doing this hour. So Father, as we close out this service, help us to go with a sense of great peace because we're at peace with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the worship team is going to sing the last song. During that song, get up, pick up a pearl, and go back to your seat. God bless.